This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. It is Thursday. We are back doing some infectious disease and immunology questions. Daphne, how are you today? Uh, I'm doing great, buddy. We're, all, we're, all, we're getting there. It's Thursday already. Mm-hmm. Burning we're through getting... ID and immunology. Doing okay. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. All right. You're asking I ask questions you first. this morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, ID and immunology question 61. The CDC has published guidelines for the prevention of perinatal group B streptococcus disease, which are endorsed by the American Academy of Pediatrics and the American Congress of Obstetrics and Gynecologists. The guidelines recommend universal screening for GBS and treatment before delivery if the screening is positive. Now, the impact of these practices is most accurately stated by which of the following? A, there has been a decrease in the incidence of early and late onset GBS disease. B, there has been a decrease in the incidence of early disease, but an increase in the rate of late onset GBS. C, there has been a decrease in the incidence of early onset GBS disease. D, there has been a decrease in the incidence of late onset GBS disease. Or E, there has been no change in the incidence of early or late onset disease, but the severity of the disease has been reduced. Hmm. Interesting mm. question. Interesting question. Yes. Um, wondering if also, <clears throat> so sorry, if um, whether this has changed from the time this question was written. Um, but um, it has not. I checked. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i think that um the the reason for all these guidelines and for these risk stratification are due to the fact that um there's not really been right think about it for a second there hasn't been an increase in the incidence of early onset gbs disease if we were seeing babies die left and right of early onset gbs disease we probably would start treating more aggressively and so on and so forth but this risk stratification approach is designed to address the fact that there's been a decrease in the incidence of early onset GBS disease, which is answer choice C, which is my answer. Okay, that is correct. Answer choice C. Hold on. Where did my uh, where did my whole response go? I'm finding it. Um, I was actually just looking. Uh, I, I think um, if you want a good review of group B strep uh, early onset. So literally, the committee opinion in February 2020 is entitled Prevention of Group B Strep Early Onset Disease in Newborns. Um, so that'll give you a hint to your correct answer. And we had a great discussion with Dr. Uh, Popolo um, just I don't know, a few months ago on, we did a whole week on group B strep. So that's People what I was have trying to realize to that we record a lot. And, yeah. <laughs> and when I know what we've recorded, but when you're asking, when did we do it? When between was the time, it? Between the time we recorded, <laughs> between the time we aired it, there's no way I can tell you. Yeah, time flies. Time yep. flies. 
Okay, but back to the answer. So the correct answer is there has been a decrease in the incidence of early onset GBS disease. Early onset disease is defined as an infection occurring in an infant within the first seven days of life. And chiefly, right, some people are using a, a, a lower definition, three days. But a late onset infection occurs after that period until about three months of age. In 2010, the CDC published revised perinatal GBS prevention guidelines to decrease the risk of neonatal infection. And these recommendations are based on studies demonstrating that maternal rectovaginal GBS colonization around the time of delivery was a critical factor in neonatal GBS colonization and subsequently invasive disease. Studies further showed that maternal intrapartum prophylaxis with antimicrobials directed against GBS significantly decreased the risk of neonatal colonization and early onset GBS disease. Specifically, the guidelines recommend universal screening for GBS at 35 to 36 weeks. And for those people with positive GBS, the intrapartum prophylaxis at the time of delivery is recommended. The impact of these guidelines has resulted in a dramatic fall, 1.7 cases per 1,000 live births in the early 1990s to 0.34 to 0.37 cases per 1,000 live births after 2004 in early onset GBS needle nail sepsis. However, the pathogenesis of late onset disease is not altered by intrapartum antibiotics. The incidence of late onset GBS disease has remained constant at approximately 0.5 cases per 1,000 live births. I'm not going to lie to you. I did not know this before going to the board review course. I think Dr. Wynn, Jim Wynn, taught this section. Uh, He did a wonderful job and I will never, I won't forget it, I guess, until the Mm -hmm. incidence changes and I'll have to learn something new. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Question 62. A definitely 1% solution of silver nitrate. 1% 1% tetracycline ophthalmic ointment or 0.5% erythromycin ophthalmic ointment is approved for prophylaxis against ophthalmia neonatorum. Of the following, the organism that is most likely to be targeted with this regimen is choice A, Candida albicans, choice B, Chlamydia trachomatis, Choice C, herpes simplex virus. Choice D, Neisseria gonorrhea. Choice E, Neisseria meningitides. Um, it's Neisseria. That's the answer. <laughs> Fair enough. Which is interesting because that's not how you that's not how you treat it, but that's, that's how you prophylax trick. it. That's, that's the trick. The trick. You'll tell us about it. Yeah. Uh, Ophthalmia neonatorum is defined as neonatal conjunctivitis occurring in the first month of life. Many organisms have been shown to cause neonatal conjunctivitis. Um, let me see. Um, so if, if, you're, if you're looking in sequence, right, in the first 24 mm-hmm. hours, uh, conjunctivitis is usually caused by, uh, it's usually chemical conjunctivitis. Um, in, after that, from 24 to 48 hours of life, it's usually uh, acute purulent conjunctivitis, often caused by staph, strep, or pseudomonas. From two to five days of life, this is when you get your most likely your gonorrhea, um, which, as you said, we'll talk about that, will is usually treated with third-generation cephalosporin. And then from about one to two weeks is when you will see uh, conjunctivitis caused by chlamydia that responds to PO erythromycin and then beyond that two to three weeks of life you have to consider herpes 
So I think you, you do need to remember that sequence. Mm -hmm. And you do need to remember what we're just going to talk about, which is that many organisms have been obviously shown to cause conjunctivitis, although gonococcal uh, gonorrhea contributes to less than 1% of the total burden, it causes one of the most severe form of conjunctivitis. And that is the reason why we empirically treat everybody. Gonococcal conjunctivitis is also associated with systemic spread, making mm -hmm. its prevention desirable. Erythromycin 0.5% of thalamic ointment is the only approved prophylaxis available in the U.S. for prevention of gonococcal conjunctivitis. The use of this prophylactic ointment after birth has been endorsed by the U.S. Preventive Services Tax, uh, Task Force since 1996. Chlamydia is a more frequent causative agent of neonatal conjunctivitis. However, um, it's associated with less severe eye manifestation. None of the approved ophthalmologic medications for neonates have been shown to conclusively be effective against maternal to infant transmission of chlamydia, although some reduction in the neonatal conjunctivitis has been reported. Herpes is a common cause of neonatal ophthalmitis, but it is not susceptible to antibacterial agents, obviously. Candida and Neisseria meningitides are not common cause of neonatal conjunctivitis. Good job. Very well. And the the next question is going to, we'll see what people learned from your, your uh, review there. This is question 63. Now you're examining a 10-day-old infant with bilaterally injected conjunctiva. Mother reports that the redness started in the right eye three days ago and since yesterday has also involved the left eye. So bilateral. There's scant Muco, mucopurulent discharge and worsening eyelid erythema. So you're like, oh, which I know which one it is. I know. But you learn that the maternal history is significant for untreated chlamydia delivery. Okay, fine. They gave you the answer to what you thought was going to be the question. <laughs> you decide to treat the infant for chlamydial conjunctivitis. Now, of the following, the preferred treatment for neonatal chlamydial conjunctivitis is A, IV ceftriaxone, B, oral cotrimaxazole, C, oral erythromycin for 14 days, D, oral erythromycin for 7 days, plus topical application for 7 days, or E, topical erythromycin for 14 days. Yeah. Uh, another hmm. one... Uh therapy that we should know um it's a bit tricky here because mm -hmm. oral erythromycin is the treatment so then you're like okay mm -hmm. uh, is it uh oral for seven days and topical for seven or is it like oral for 14 and the answer is it's oral for 14 days um yeah that's right the that's nice right. vignette is so, the baby who's born via c-section has chlamydia gets treated for 14 days and develops pyloric stenosis right because we have to <laughs> oh good one uh, <laughs> that's yeah. a good one yeah. i like that um yeah so the answer is oral erythromycin for 14 days so to review even though we give ocular erythromycin it does not prevent chlamydial disease which is treated with oral erythromycin we give the ocular erythromycin ointment to prevent gonococcal disease, which is not treated with erythromycin. It's treated with the ceftriaxone. So vaginal chlamydia trachomotis carriage in pregnant women can be asymptomatic and transmission to an infant occurs during passage via the birth canal or by an ascending infection. Mucosal surfaces of the neonate colonized with the bacteria include the conjunctiva, the nasopharynx, and lower respiratory tract. 
And neonatal conjunctivitis uh, due to chlamydia is typically present around the first 5 to 14 days of life with this mucopurulent discharge in a red eye. Conjunctival infection can be a predecessor of chlamydial pneumonia in newborns, which typically presents around the third week of life. Topical therapy cannot eradicate systemic chlamydial disease, and therefore the recommended treatment for neonatal conjunctivitis is oral erythromycin for the 14 days, not seven days when treating for chlamydia. Erythromycin used in the neonatal period has been associated with, like you said, hypertrophic pyloric stenosis, and parents should be counseled about this. Um, IV ceftriaxone is a recommended therapy for newborns delivered to women with untreated gonococcal infection. Oral sulfonamides um, can be used for treatment of chlamydial conjunctivitis, but because of increased toxicity in newborns, they are only recommended after the neonatal period and if erythromycin is not well tolerated. Okay? Very cool, Daphna. I'll see you tomorrow. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nicupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUPodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.